Shalom, welcome to our Aliyah day. This is the uh, Torah portion this week that we're studying from the book of Bamibar. Becha uh, Aloteka. Bringing you the first Aliyah. This uh, It's actually early in the morning. I'm doing it at a little bit of an odd time. We're not able to have our live uh, feed as we normally do. Uh, because my family and I will be traveling, and as a result, I uh, was going to interrupt our normally uh, scheduled time together. So, we are going to have the Aliyah via podcast now, and then the, with God's help, we'll be able to have everything back on track uh, for the uh, second Aliyah. So, we find ourselves uh, in Bamidbar, that is the book of Numbers, chapter 8, uh, beginning in uh, verse 1. Beha uh, loteka. It's kind of a mouthful of a of a word, but um, we're going to find out what it means in in just a moment. So let's read the first aliyah, and then we will look at the uh, insights of this parsha and find out what we can learn, what we can glean, and how Hashem can grow us. So it says, uh, Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his, and uh, say to him, When you kindle the lamps toward the face of the menorah, uh, shall the seven lamps cast light. And Aaron did so toward the face of the menorah. He kindled its lamps, as Adonai had commanded Moshe. This was the workmanship of the menorah. It was hammered out gold from its base to its blossom. It was hammered out like the vision that Adonai showed Moshe, so did he make the menorah. Just want to pause there and point out that we've I've said this before, I've brought this up uh, before, but worth mentioning here since we see it. That when uh, Moshe went up to the mountain, he did not stay on the mountain. Meaning that it wasn't as if he just went up to Mount Sinai and he hung out up there and God spoke to him. But rather, Moshe actually went into, I guess you would say, perhaps the fourth dimension. I'm not sure which dimension it would be, but the fact of the matter is he walked into Shemayim. That's the only way, by the way, that a human being could uh, be able to, uh, to endure 40 days without food or water. Otherwise, uh, you wouldn't be able to live. There's no way that a human can go without food and water for 40 days. So he went into Shemaim. One way that we know that is just what we just by what we just read here. God did not tell him how to make the menorah, but rather God showed him the menorah. He showed him the more the, the menorah that he was supposed to make. And in fact, I believe it's in the Midrash where it says that the menorah that Moshe saw was a flaming menorah. But anyway, uh, we continue reading. Verse 5, Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and purify them. So shall you do to them to purify them. Sprinkle upon them water, purification, and let them pass a razor over their entire flesh, and let them immerse their garments, and they shall become pure. They shall take a young bull and its meal offering of fine flour mixed with oil, and a second young bull shall you take as a sin offering. You shall bring the Levites before the tent of a meeting, and you shall gather together the children of Israel. You shall bring the Levites before Adonai, and the children of Israel shall lean their hands on the Levites. Aaron shall lift up the Levites as a wave offering before Adonai from the children of Israel, and shall remain to perform the service of Adonai. The Levites shall lean their hands upon the heads of the bulls. You shall make one for a sin offering and one for an elevation offering to Adonai to atone for the Levites. 
You shall stand the Levites before Aaron and before his sons and lift them as a wave offering before Adonai. So shall you separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall remain mine. So that's the end of the first Aliyah of Behaloteca. So let's look at some insights. We're going to bring in some um, some overview insights from the Kehol Tumash. The Kehol Tumash often has very intriguing and insightful overviews of the parasha. So I'm just going to mention a couple of highlighted points here, things that we can glean. <clears throat> First of all, the opening uh, Aliyah here is talking about, of course, Aaron who is charged with kindling the lamp. So there's a spiritual lesson for us to uh, to be uh, gleaned here. It says, uh, in particular, Parashat Behalotecha opens with the commandment of kindling the, can uh, the menorah, the candelabrum uh, from, the, from the tabernacle. And Aaron is told to kindle the lamps until the wicks catch flame and burn on their own. <coughs> and as we see... This is an allegory for our purpose on earth. So um, many people, unfortunately, wring their hands and wonder, what is my purpose? And it's really sad because God has written the purpose of mankind in the Torah. But of course, people are discouraged uh, from reading the Torah and some, in some cases, flat out told not to read it and as a result no one knows what their purpose is and we have to read secular books written by men etc etc but it tells us here what our purpose is our purpose on earth is to kindle the flame of divine consciousness until all of created reality burns on its own with the enthusiasm required to fulfill its divine purpose that's how it's stated here in the Kehel Tumash to restate it a, a bit uh, more uh, succinctly, is that we are simply to uh, be the 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 people who kindle the flame of people's hearts, of people's lives. Your mission, my mission, our purpose ultimately is to be priests and kings in God's uh, economy and His world, and to enter into the sanctuary of His service, which is life itself, to encounter people and to inspire them to become enthusiastic about serving God. And we're supposed to do that in a kosher way, uh, according to, um, to his dictates. But the bottom line is, is that we are, our purpose is to kindle flames. We talk about finding holy sparks. Um, but once you find a, a spark, we have to, we should, we should desire to, to uh, help that spark become a flame. You know, it's one thing if you're trying to start a fire and you've got a little bit of an ember, a little bit of a spark. You blow on it, you put some, maybe some leaves around it, some twigs, some uh, brush, maybe a little paper. And you want that spark to burst into a flame. That's what we want to do with people around us. We want to help them burst into flames of God. And we can do that by being Hashem's priest. And the way that we do that, people wonder, how should you do that? The way that you do that is by following His Torah by living for God. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. We think we've got to go out and go to the highways and byways and, and talk to people. Sometimes it's effective. Sometimes it's we, we can do We can do that in different ways. But more often than not, just by living our lives, we have a, a very a wonderful impact on people. So another, um, another statement is here, uh, it says here, 
The divine mission to make the world into God's home applies to all aspects of our reality. Indeed, the only way it can be accomplished is if we transform all aspects of life into facets and elements of our relationship with God. From last week's parashah, we spoke about the Nazarite, and we talked at length about the fact that Judaism does not embrace a, embrace a citizen, a citizen, it does not embrace the monk uh, mentality, uh, living in a monastery uh, separated from life. In fact, uh, it actually teaches against that mindset. And the, the, the question becomes, why? It seems counterintuitive. If you want to be a spiritual person, then you should just abstain from everything that's secular. But, but that's not our mission. It's not our goal. Our mission, our goal, is to elevate every aspect of life to a status of holiness. The question becomes, why? Why do we have to do that? What's important? Why does God care? And the answer is because that's how it was in Ganadin. Before the fall, all of creation was holy. Everything about creation was holy. Uh, there wasn't anything unholy. And so the whole purpose is to go back to the original creation, to go back to Ganadin, to undo uh, what was done. And so our mission is to... to uh, to do that level of tikkun. This is why we have to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to elevate the world. We're in the world, but not of it. What does that even mean? It means that we're in it, but we're not of it. We're of the spiritual realm. We're of the higher call. And our mission is to take the world in which we're in to elevate it to where we are, meaning to bring it up to a holy level where we find ourselves. So we have to be people who take all of God's um, uh, creation and elevate every aspect of life. This is why the sages say, don't be people who fast too often. Don't be people who separate yourself too much. Don't forbid to yourself what the Torah has allowed. You've got to be very careful about that. You know, somebody asked me, first of all, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say um, with with the reality that um, I am very, I'm very much in favor of uh, eating uh, healthy and uh, not eating all the chemicals and junk and all that kind of stuff, um, what have you. However, um, we once had a, somebody come into our congregation. It's been a, a few years ago, and they were asking us about, you know, what we believe about kosher eating, etc. And so we explained to them what, you know, I explained to them what we believe about kosher eating and those type of things. And so the family evidently was very, very, very much into, um, you know, organic, non-GMO, uh, you know, maybe maybe even perhaps to an extreme, um, what have you. But that was their thing. That's what they, you know, they pretty much, uh, that's how they live their life. Nothing wrong with that, Okay. The problem was, is that they were wanting me to agree with them that if something was not organic or if it was uh, non-GMO or whatever the case, I, I, I'm not sure what all the criteria would, would be, but basically that it would be deemed not kosher. And I explained to them, listen, you know, I, I agree with you. You should eat healthy. If you want to eat healthy, fine. If you if you don't want to eat a Twinkie bar, I don't either. You you know, that's great. But I'm not going to tell somebody that it's religiously forbidden 
for them to eat, um, you know, GMO rice or something like that. I'm not going to do that, and we shouldn't do that. And so the the people didn't stick around. Obviously, uh, their heads and hearts were not in the right place. But the point being is that we shouldn't. We it's one thing to say, you know what, I'm going to not partake of that because I don't think it's healthy. I don't want to drink that. Whatever it is, that's fine. But it's something else entirely to say it's not kosher to drink that. You see what I'm saying? It, we have to say, be careful that we don't forbid to ourselves something that God allowed. This is the whole point. We have to be very careful. So, as it's saying here, uh, it's not enough to feel close to God or teach others to feel close to God when we or they are explicitly involved in holy acts. That is, learning the Torah and fulfilling God's commandments, divine consciousness must permeate our mundane pursuits as well. Very important point is being made here in the Kehol Tumash is that our religious life has to extend beyond um, just what we feel in prayer or what we feel in study time or even what we feel in shul or even what we feel at the Yom Tov. In other words, we can't fall into the trap of our religious life being compartmentalized. That's what happens with other religions. They're very People are very religious uh, when they go to certain buildings on certain days of the week, but otherwise you really wouldn't know um, that much about their faith. And so to the Jewish person, our faith has to permeate every aspect of our life. In other words, we're just as religious when we're in the study hall as we are when we go to the movies we're just as religious when we're davening as we are when we're eating dinner. We're just as religious uh, when we are, you know, reading from the Torah scroll as when we're sitting around in our business meeting with our friends. It has to permeate every aspect of our life, and that's our goal. And the way that we accomplish that, my friends, is that we live a Torah life. It's not that complicated. We just have to apply Torah principles to our everyday life and understands it, understand rather that we need to be the same people everywhere. This is what God's want that God wants. And by the way, that's what it means to be people of integrity. I know you know this. These are not really profound statements I'm making here. It's really more of reminders of what we're called to do, which in and of itself could be profound. But anyway, I digress. It says this attitude towards life can be acquired through practice by training ourselves or others to overcome the natural tendencies of the material reality to obscure God's presence in our lives. Divine life then becomes second nature, ultimately as natural as the material outlook was before. In other words, we had to just remember, remember that God is everywhere, that God is the master of everything. He is the one who causes everything to happen. And we don't get distracted with materialism or somehow thinking that there are there's a material world and a spiritual world. We have to see the whole world as spiritual. This is why I have said, in quoting the commentators and sages before, that we have to look at, at nature itself as divine, nature itself as a miracle. It's not just that the grass grows, but rather God causes it to grow. And when we understand on that level these these precepts, then it will guard our hearts from entering into a mindset in which we compartmentalize our life. This will keep us in the flow that everything comes from God. Another insight here just to share from the introduction. It says, uh, this is the inner meaning of kindling a wick until it burns on its own. 
We must strive to refine ourselves, others, and the world around us until everyone's and everything's intrinsic divine nature is revealed and therefore burns with divine consciousness as part of its own inherent nature. Only when we have accomplished this have we truly and um, fully made this world into God's home. That, my friends, is our mission. I want to just read a little bit of the insight here from the Gutna Kumash, the way that it's written here. I like um, what it has to say. It says, We are taught that a Proverbs, man's soul is a lamp of God, from Proverbs 20 and verse 27, that the soul is a part of and is connected with God. However, in order to enjoy the great benefits of it, the correct switch must be found or the proper button pushed. It was the Baal Shem Tov's mission to explain and proclaim that every Jew, without exception, is connected with God, and that every one of them has a switch inside which, if searched for, will be found. So everybody has a switch, everybody can be turned on, we just have to explore where that is. It says, and this message is conveyed by the opening of our parasha, where God instructs Aaron to fire up the lamps. That's really the, the meaning of the, the word behaloteka. It, it means to, to flare up, to fire up, to lift up the lamps. So firing up the lamps represents finding the switch or button within every Jew, igniting the fiery love of God which lies dormant in the soul. This takes us back to something I've said before. If we feel a little uh, disconnected, we feel a little bit like uh, our spiritual life, you know, is not as vibrant. That's normal. It's natural. The, what we have to do is we have to light the lamp. We have to fire up the lamp of our soul. We have to reconnect with the love of God, the love of Mashiach, the love of Torah. And uh, the only way to do that, my friends, is to is to uh, you know get get in involved with the community get involved with Torah study, get around brothers and sisters. The worst thing that we can do um, when we feel disconnected is to disconnect fully. That's kind of defeating the purpose. It's like saying, I feel like I'm drowning. Let me go underwater. That's not how it works. So anyway, um, it says here, and Aaron the priest represents the Jewish leaders of every generation who are empowered by God and with special talents to find the switch in every Jew and help him become connected with his own internal spiritual powerhouse. As it says here, while it was the high priest who would traditionally light the menorah, the mitzvah would nevertheless be valid if done by a non-priest as well. This is in Tractate Yoma 24b. So you did not have to be a priest to light the menorah. Anybody could actually light the menorah, which, as we're about to see here, is a great allegorical segue into us understanding. You don't have to be a son of Aaron to light the menorah. You don't have to be a great rabbi. You don't have to be a Torah scholar. You just have to be somebody who's willing to lift up, to fire up the flame of God in somebody's life. That's all that's required. It says, From this we learn that the task of igniting the lamp within others cannot be left to Jewish leaders alone. Every person, even a non-priest, has the responsibility to try to find the switch in the soul 
of his fellow Jew. And I would say in of, of his fellow man. Because there are many, many, many non-Jews, of course we know this, that have a spark of holiness. They're the holy sparks. And Hashem is just waiting for them to, to come into the fold as well. So it says, we can never know what will make the connection. Perhaps just one word will open up the well or inner foundation of his soul. That's, again, such an important statement. Because we don't know what. We, we don't have any idea. We have to look at everything that we do, every opportunity, as a divine, um, a divine appointment. When we go to the store, when we go to the office, when we go to wherever we're going, whatever we're doing, we have to understand that that is an opportunity to connect with someone. And maybe that connectivity is something so simple as, as saying thank you, of smiling, of opening the door, of being pleasant, uh, who knows what, or just walking down the aisle or walking to your office or answering the phone and, and talking to a customer. We have no idea uh, what... Uh, method of connectivity Hashem wants to use, but we should expect, I, this is really, I think, an important point, we should expect that every aspect of our day, no matter what we're doing, no matter how mundane it, it may seem, is an opportunity for Hashem to make a divine connection, and more than just that. You know, we say... Um, when we go to, uh, let's say you went to uh, a shopping center and you had an encounter. Somebody asked you about something. About they, they, If you're a female, maybe they notice your tackle or something. If you're a man, they notice your seat seat. And we get excited about that. Hey, I had a, I had a really great, a great conversation. I had a, a really uh, very impactful. It was, it was obviously a divine appointment. And you know what? It was a divine appointment. And it is great. And it is awesome. And thank God for that conversation. But it just occurs to me that sometimes we go here or there and we don't have anybody talking to us and we don't have anybody asking questions. We don't have those moments where you go, wow, that was really powerful. But I want to encourage us all to accept the reality that you had a divine appointment. You just don't know it. Somebody saw you. Somebody um, was very blessed when you opened the door for them. Somebody was just so encouraged when you said hello to them. Somebody from across the way, across the room, saw you, and it, it and, and they're, now they're curious to know more about Jews and Judaism and God's holy Torah. You, you think nothing happened. You think you went there. You think that uh, you were at the office or at the at the grocery store or at the gym maybe or wherever you happen to be and you think nothing's going on but but I want to encourage you you're having a divine connection because that's the level that we live when we're serving Hashem I just want to encourage you with that with that word and to think of it in those terms because again God's desire for all of us is that we find holy sparks and that we kindle holy sparks and if that's your desire if that's how you want God to use you he's going to use you in that vein so it says, we can never know what will make the connection, perhaps just one word. How long must we continue to ignite another soul once the person appears already to be inspired? This we can also learn from Aaron's kindling of the lamps, which had to be, quote, until the flame rises by itself. In other words, we should continue to inspire every Jew until each 
individual becomes self-sufficient powerhouse of enthusiasm. So we keep inspiring, we keep encouraging, we keep fanning the flames, we keep loving on people and teaching them and guiding them until they themselves become such a blazing torch, a blazing lapide that they themselves now have the wherewithal, the power to inspire others. Another good statement here from the Gudna Kumash. Aaron did so. So this Aaron followed the will of God. He did what God told him to do. And so the spark of Hesuda uh, says, On these words Rashi writes, This tells us the praise of Aaron, that he did not deviate from God's command. But why might one think that Aaron would deviate from God's command about the lighting of the menorah? The answer lies in Rashi's comments to verse 4, that God caused the menorah to construct itself. After a piece of gold was cast into the flame, this comes from Rashi's comments to uh, Exodus 25:31. Yes, my friends, it's true. The building, the construction of the menorah was so complex that um, Moshe didn't know how to do it. And so God said, actually, just throw a piece of gold in the fire and I will make the menorah. There's lots of because said, I talked about this before, about the supernatural uh, issue about the menorah. The menorah was one of the instruments in the tabernacle known as the light, of, um, the light of the world. Of course, the light of the world ultimately is the Torah, but the, the menorah really bespeaks of the Torah, which we're going to learn as we continue studying this parasha. But it, it's the light of the world. So in other words, the light of the world, i.e. the menorah, was completely divine, forged by God out of the fire of gold. Uh, can you say Messiah Yeshua? Thank you. Yes. So anyway, it says, being that the menorah was manufactured by heaven with minimal human effort, one might come to the conclusion that the details of how it was lit by a human being were also of minimal importance, for this was merely to cause the menorah to elicit its heavenly light. Nevertheless, Aaron did not deviate from God's commandment, even when, logically speaking, the details appeared to be irrelevant, and therefore the Torah tells us, or the Torah, therefore the Torah says, by, by the way, tells the praise of Aaron. In other words, it would be very easy to say, my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm now required to light, or to kindle rather, this, this supernatural menorah? Really? <laughs> I mean, the thing built itself, why can't it kindle itself? And so it's very uh, common for us in our human psyche to say, what good is my effort? I'm just a human being. What can I do? If God wants something to happen, he'll make it happen. He's already done it. Because he, already, he already made it supernaturally occur. But ours is not to ask those questions. Hashem wants, you could even say he needs, our involvement. Like Yeshua said, I go to the Father and greater works than these shall you do. I don't know about you, but that seems almost ridiculous. That I could do greater works than the Messiah? I've never walked on water. I've never uh, seen uh, you know, somebody resurrected from the dead. I've never called them out of a grave, for instance. I've never said I am and had an entire squad of soldiers fall flat on their face. So what does this mean? I don't know. But what I do know is that Hashem expects me and desires me and encourages me and you to be his instrument of tikkun. So, we're going to kindle the lamps. 
We're going to kindle the lamps of this divine menorah and somehow come to understand that through our seemingly meaningless effort, Hashem's world is going to be made holy and righteous. End of our Aliyah today. Thank you for joining me with God's help. We'll be back on um, the second day of the week to have our second Aliyah and Bezrat Hashem at all the regular scheduled times without any technical difficulty as we'll be traveling this week and have to have our mobile uh, studio uh, enacted. Until then, have a blessed, blessed day. May God uh, bless you and, and keep you and uh, make his face to shine upon you and turn his face towards you and give you shalom and the merit of the Messiah Yeshua. Shalom, shalom.